Hello, and welcome to The Link Podcast, the industry's link to learn, innovate, news, and knowledge in global supply chain intelligence, hosted by food logistics and supply and demand chain executive. We cover everything from transportation and warehousing trends and new technologies to food safety and sustainability impacting today's supply chains. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on the Spotify, Apple, or Google Playlist apps. And this week, I'm speaking with Jared Rosenthal, who is the who is the founder and CEO of Health Street, which helps trucking companies stay compliant and manage drug testing in the field. We look into how the trucking company deals with drug testing and the differences in testing hair follicles versus urine samples. So let's link into that conversation now. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am here with Jared Rosenthal, who is the founder and CEO of Health Street, and we are going to talk about uh, drug testing in the uh, trucking space. Hi, Jared. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So um, I want to start out with, um, can you give me a little explanation of how drug testing is handled in the trucking industry? Sure. Well, um, the short answer is that it's very highly regulated. Actually, it's one of the first industries to uh, begin doing drug testing back in the 80s. Oh, wow. And uh, all of that is done under the Department of Transportation. So just a little bit of orientation there. The DOT is a federal uh, agency, and they have sort of six uh, modalities of transportation under it, of which trucking is one of them, and also uh, shipping, uh, like the U.S. Coast Guard, shipping, mm-hmm. transit, uh, train lines, so six of them, uh, pipelines and hazardous material. So uh, trucking falls under it. And then DOT uh, sets very uh, specific guidelines for what types of drug tests need to go on for anybody that's employed in a safety sensitive function. So for Mm -hmm. trucking, that would be like uh, trucks over 26,000 pounds. You know, so if you're driving a truck that's over 26,000 pounds, you're subject, you're and your company is subject to uh, follow these guidelines in terms of pre-employment drug testing, random drug testing, uh, also post-accident. So there's specific guidelines for what constitutes a level of an accident that would trigger the need for a post-accident drug test. Uh, And then there's guidelines for reasonable suspicion. You know, you come into work and you're wobbling around or you smell like alcohol Um, and a couple others that deal with if you've tested positive, how you come back to work. Oh, wow. What um, can you give me a little bit of information about how that would happen if you do do test positive? Yeah. So if you if you uh, have a positive drug or alcohol test, uh, you have to be immediately removed from any safety sensitive function. So obviously driving is one of them. And then uh, the company would uh, refer you to what's called a substance abuse professional, uh, SAP. And that SAP would then do some sort of evaluation of your uh, issues. Perhaps you have uh, alcoholism or drug addiction or whatever the case may be that they'll assess it. And then they'll make a determination of when you are ready to uh, go back to work. And there's two types of testing that have to occur then. One is called a a return to duty test. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after the return to duty test, the SAP will set you on a schedule of up to five years of follow-up testing. So that is sort of on a random basis, but it's considered a follow-up test. And that could be, let's say, you know, once a month for up to 60 months. Oh, wow. So um, a recent, I just saw a recent study that said from the University of Central Arkansas that said that nearly 300,000 
drivers would be fired if they were really um, required to take the more in-depth drug tests, like the the hair follicles and stuff like that, that would go back mm. a period of time. Um, yeah. With a driver shortage already rampant, how how does the industry handle this? Okay, well, the, the, the hair testing is... <sighs> not a more comprehensive test it's a different uh method it's a different specimen obviously okay and that specimen that part of your body retains the history of the drug use uh differently than the urine so it's another way to measure and yes it tends to go back further uh Therefore, it tends to pick up more positives because it covers a longer period of time, right? One thing it doesn't do, it does not do, is cover the most recent week. So if you think about it, when you, let's just take alcohol, for example. If you drink alcohol, it's in your blood, and your blood is nourishing your hair follicles under the scalp. And then it takes about five days for that that follicle to grow out into hair. So when you cut the hair from the base, the first, you know, the most recent five days, it's not in there yet because okay. you can't cut. It's not visible to cut. So, you know, for something like a post-accident, it doesn't make any sense to do a hair test because it doesn't tell you anything about current sobriety. So, um, so the industry is more focused on what's happening with you at work and within the la- the recent time period. Well, th- with a urine test, that's been the history of it from the beginning for the last 40 years or so, uh, is the urine test. Why? Uh, for Not just because it's the most immediate, whereas, you know, post-accident or reasonable suspicion, yes, you would always want to do urine. For something like a pre-employment or uh, random testing, there's an argument to be made to do the hair testing because you're looking for you know any indication that the person might be using drugs. Doesn't mean they're they're high at that moment, but any positive according to the federal guidelines is still illegal and therefore worthy of you know removing you from safety sensitive functions. So how do how do trucking companies handle compliance and the the regulations? Like, are they required to send these drug testing out to government regulation officials, or is it just like you want to follow these rules in case you know somebody? I mean, obviously you want to follow these rules in general, but you know how how do they interact with with government compliance? Okay, so um, what the co- what the companies do generally is they sign up with companies like mine, which is Health Street, and we manage their random selections. So the you know okay. the DOT has very specific rules, like you can't just throw darts at a dartboard and say this guy got picked this month. You have to follow the statistical formula. So we manage that for them, and then we set them up with authorization codes, and they go into a clinic, which then sends that specimen to a lab that's been certified by DOT by the or by federal government. Uh, as qualified to do this kind of uh, lab testing. And then we have doctors which review the test and speak to the uh, drivers if there's any positives or non-negatives to see if they're on any other medication or things like that. So it's a very closely uh, scripted type of a program. And in terms of their compliance, how they're held accountable is that the DOT has plenty of auditors and they show up. They'll pull a driver over on the side of the road and among other things, ask questions about drug testing. They audit the companies. They want to see records. And then we help them with that, you know, providing records and uh, sharing reports and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I know since COVID, since post-COVID, we're all like kind of working in this remote 
environment. And I know the country's opening back up again, but people are kind of keeping that their remote flexible schedules. Uh-huh. How how is drug testing handled today in a flexible environment? Uh, really, very little has changed. You know, initially with COVID, the DOT had put out some, uh, you know, opportunities for leniency or, you know, uh, appeals that companies can make. But in reality, uh, drug, there's no way to do a virtual uh, urine test right now uh, and uh, have it be um, forensically validated, okay. right? So as opposed to if, you, if your doctor wanted to test your urine for, you know, your blood count or whatever, you know, uh, not blood count, but for uh, metabolites or whatever the case may be, you know, you would package it up yourself and put your name on the on the urine bottle and maybe ship it in via UPS. But if it's a drug test, you have a reason to not you know, potentially to not want it to be your urine or Mm -hmm. so because of that incentive to beat it rather than just learn what's in my urine, um, it has to be done forensically, which means there's all kinds of rules about labeling and watching and that sort of thing. Wow. So what do you think could could change in the future when it comes to drug drug testing in the uh, trucking space? Well, the, the hair testing uh, concept that you mentioned is, is, a, is a pretty controversial one because oh. the, it, it does grab in so many more people. Uh, to my knowledge, they're not mandating this, but they're looking to make it a, an option for companies to do. And one of the most obvious uh, problems that it presents is if you if you if a driver looks like me, right, well, I don't have any hair on my head. <laughs> so you can't do a hair test. Right. So then that sort of creates a non-level playing field for uh, people that do have hair. And particularly, even though it's mostly a male, uh, you know, industry, um, women are much less likely to be bald, right? And so it sort of creates some dynamic there or some less of a uh, uniform policy for all drivers. And since the beginning, you know, the, the one thing about the DOT uh, drug testing regulations, like they have an answer for almost everything. So mm-hmm. anything comes up in the drug testing world outside of DOT, we always look to DOT as sort of the gold standard because they've thought of it all and they've tried to make it as fair, but uh, even as possible. And this hair testing thing really kind of breaks that mold a little bit right. because it creates those inequities. Yeah, I know um, I cover uh, female drivers in the trucking space all the time and how it's really changing and growing to be a more equal playing field. I mean, there's so many, even just the, the use of technology and people, you know, realizing the potential to have women drivers, you know, how it could really help their their companies as a whole and help decrease the driver shortage. So yeah. that's a really interesting point. I'm interested to see how that will will affect the future. Yeah, definitely. Um, the other the other major um, issue that is in the in the drug testing world for for DOT is that because DOT is is a federal uh, uh, agency, they follow the federal rules with regard to drug laws, and of course, marijuana is at the federal level completely illegal. It's a schedule one uh, controlled substance considered to have no medicinal purpose whatsoever. And then you have states where not only is it legal for medical use, but it's completely legal for even for recreational use. So you have this really major problem that's happening between the state law and the federal law. Mm -hmm. And you know, I would submit that that's a big part of the issue with the driver shortage these days, because if you're driving, if you want to be a driver, let's say, 
Um, but you can drive something less than 26,000 pounds, you're not going to be subject to these laws that ex- even, even if your company drug tests, uh, if you're in a state that allows marijuana usage, then it's, it, it, it's, it's going to be a different situation. You're probably right. going to get that job. Whereas the federal job, fe- federally regulated job, 26,000 pounds over, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to ever work in that industry if you're smoking marijuana. Oh, Wow. Well, that's all I have time for today, but thank you so much. That was so interesting to learn all about the intricacies of this, um, you know, sector. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Happy to share it with you. Thank you for your interest. All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode and tune in every Tuesday for our episodes of Link by a food logistics and supply and demand chain executive. If you like what you hear, be sure to give us a thumbs up or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Jacob Briel for more of what's happening in the supply chain. And do not forget to hit subscribe on the Spotify, Apple and Google playlist apps so you never miss an episode.